Can the Thunder keep up the pace without Ennis Cantor? How good is the supporting cast around Russ? Is Russell Westbrook padding his rebounding stats? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today I'm pleased to bring on the show Eric Horn, who is the Thunder beat writer for the Oklahoman and NewsOK.com. So Eric, uh, we have some exciting news, or sorry, not so exciting news to talk about, but certainly everyone on everyone's mind, and I think uh, to jump right into it, what's happening with, uh, with Ennis Cantor and his harm? Well, uh, first of all, Nick, thanks for having me on, and then, um, I mean, just to kind of jump into it, you know, this guy is, is reportedly projected to be out six to eight weeks. Uh, fractured his right forearm in last night's game against a, <laughs> and basically an inconsequential game against the Dallas Mavericks, who, were, who went to uh, Oklahoma City last night with a ragtag roster. And you know, Kander comes to the sidelines. He's he's frustrated about you know the way his game is going. Uh, he the Mavericks have been physical with him the night before uh, on a back to back, the first night of a back to back. He had gotten uh, inadvertently elbowed in the eye by Anthony Davis, and that opened up a big gash underneath his left eye, which he had to get stitches for. So going into the Mavericks game, uh, it seemed like he was having problems with that eye. He was, he was frustrated with, with the physicality. And then uh, during the second quarter, you know, he goes over, slams his hand on the on the on one of the chairs on the sideline, and next thing you know, after the game, he, uh, Billy Donovan says he's got a fractured forearm. So it's a big blow for the Thunder. You know, uh, what I had heard, I didn't watch the game carefully, but it seemed like he was on edge already as far as he was complaining about some other inconsequential calls. And quite frankly, I saw the call they made against him. I think it was an offensive foul on a post move. And, you know, know, it it seemed like it was not the worst call in the world. So, you know, when I see something like that, I'm just kind of curious. I don't want to get into, like, the armchair psychologist mode, but... You know, he's from Turkey, and I just have to wonder, like, is there other things that are, like, on his mind that have already got him ratcheted up, and that just was the culmination of something that didn't even relate to the court? I'm not sure. Uh, I think that it's pure speculation to go deep into that. I think he had back-to-back tough nights. Um, He's typically a pretty evenly keeled guy. Even after last night when he – I mean, or the night before last, uh, Wednesday night in, in New Orleans, even when he got hit in the eye and it opened up that gash, he uh, he tweeted out a picture of it that night, and he was kind of like jerk, joking about it on the Internet. He said, hashtag Turkish warrior with a picture of his, his face busted open. But, you know, last night was a little bit out of character in regard to uh, how frustrated he was on the sideline. But, um, you know, he's a guy that he does get a little pouty at times during games when – when a call doesn't go his way or he gets called for a travel or, or, you know, he's getting that double team and it comes quickly and, and he has to kind of power through it. So I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to go as far to say there's something else going on, but um, it was a little bit out of his character to be as frustrated as he was on the sideline. Sure. And everyone it sounded like said the right things afterwards to the press about, you know, how he, you know, he, it, it, no one was angry at him for, for taking himself out of the lineup like that. Uh, it, that it, does that, do you have the sense that that's genuine? Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I can't, I can't keep count of how many times I've seen guys slam their hands on a scorer's table or, or, 
hit a chair or slam a towel or, or slap the floor or do something out of frustration in the game. It's something that, you know, we're, we're asking these guys to be in complete control for 48 minutes every night, and it's not going to happen. Um, you know, a couple, I mean, maybe a month or two ago, you know, Russell Westbrook slams his hand on the scorer's table, knocks, um, knocks the powder off the scorer's table. He's mad at a call at the end of the game where he didn't get a couple of calls against Atlanta. Um, what if he breaks his hand in that instance? Or what if something happens where he hurts himself? Mm-hmm. Are we being as critical of Russell Westbrook then? It's just a freak thing. Like, these guys do this stuff all the time, but when they get hurt, we want to say, oh, they should be more careful or, or they, they're not thinking about the team. The thing is, is they're not thinking because it's instinctual and it's just a thing that happens in athletics all the time. And I just think it was just a freak thing that kind of happened to Canada last night. For sure. And, you know, a lot of times, even like when I coach at the high school level, you know, coaches tend to be really upset with the big, huge reactions like that. And I feel like a lot of times the players might feel that it's simply because they're trying to keep them down or keep their emotions checked. It's like, no, part of it is, is that you could hurt yourself when you get too, you know, uh, up in, in arms and that kind of stuff. And here we are with, uh, with a, this is a, a severe blow for the Thunder. And I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are. Uh, you know, they, they're playing, they're surprising everybody. They're on their way to, you know, 50 wins or whatever they're going to win. Uh, are they going to be able to keep this up without him in the lineup for two months? It'll be interesting to see. I, I think that if this happened earlier in the season, it might have been something that they could have had a better chance of, of weathering through because the schedule in the early season was, you know, very home heavy. Uh, a lot of lighter teams, uh, they're getting into a really rough slate right now. And they're already in the middle of a rough slate. They've, they've had, they, they've had, um, they're going to have 12 of 15 on the road this month. They're, they're wrapping up the month with, with Cleveland and San Antonio in a three day stretch. Um, it, it's going to be tough for them. They've got, they got San Antonio three more times. They've got Cleveland twice. They've got Golden State two more times. Uh, they've got Utah a couple more times. So this isn't a back half of the schedule that, is conducive to losing a key score, a key rebounder, and being able to just navigate through it easily. Nothing was going to be easy for the Thunder regardless because, you know, losing Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka is just such a big blow to to a team that needs that spacing and that scoring. But considering how great Russell Westbrook's been to start this season and throughout the entire season, uh, Steven Adams, uh, Victor Oladipo uh, has been shooting uh, pretty well since returning from his, uh, his right wrist injury. It, and Cam has been playing the best basketball of his career. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how they make up for his rebounding and scoring in that stretch. And, and it's going to be difficult. This is a team that could not afford an injury to a key rotation player. Well, this leads me to my next question, which is I've always been pretty high on Joffrey Laverne. I've always liked what I've seen with him before he got to the Thunder. Um and this has to be his golden opportunity to show showcase what he can do. And he's to me, he actually gives them even more versatility. Yeah, Joffrey's a Joffrey's an interesting character, and and he he's gone through stretches this year where he's been hot and cold from three. He hadn't shot a lot of threes in the first two years of his career, but this year he's already exceeded the totals he had from the previous two years in Denver. Billy Donovan's you know taking him out and making him more of that stretch four, stretch five kind of guy. And, and he's shown that he's capable of making threes. He's got a good stroke. Uh, the question is, is he going to come back, and, and is he going to be able to, to put together consistent performances? Uh, you'll see times where he gets on the court, and there's these, there's these lapses in terms of his defensive responsibilities, uh, even his offensive responsibilities and where he's supposed to be. 
But when he's completely focused, he's an effective player. He's not going to be an Ennis Kanter type world-class uh, offensive rebounder or a guy who can get in the post and just just go to work and, and, and put on a series of moves down there like Ennis Kanter because there aren't that many guys like that. But Joffrey does give you some, some interesting options in terms of being able to stretch the floor. I, I was looking at shooting numbers last night because I didn't remember the last time the guy made a three. I think he's 2 of 13 for his last three, uh, from three in, in however, like the past eight or ten games. So he's got to get his three-point stroke back, but he's an interesting figure for the Thunder and what they can do with the five and the four. Absolutely. So I'm curious to see if that's going to change. Um, you know, no talk about the Thunder would be complete if we didn't talk a little bit about Russ. And, um, you know, we kind of hooked up and, and scheduled this podcast, you know, over the, the uh, an article you were writing and, and some analysis you did about um, Russ's rebounding numbers. And rather than me, I, I figured, why don't you give us a quick overview of what you were seeing and what the, the crux of, the, uh, of the, the article was? Well, I mean, before getting into the crux of it, I mean, you have to account for the fact that Russell Westbrook's one of the greatest rebounding guards we've ever seen. Uh, he's the best rebounding guard in the league. He's the best rebounding guard of his generation. He might be the best ever. Uh, 6'3", to do what he does. Last year, he averaged 7.8. Uh, he's, he's remarkable. That being said, uh, in this year of the triple-double and everybody you know, following this triple-double chase that he has and, and him already eclipsing his total from last year, blowing it out of the water, you've got to look at it in, 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 the, in the context with which he's getting these triple-doubles. Um, there's a lot of, I don't want to call it so much enabling, but there's a lot of opportunity that's given to him to get rebounds because of the work that his teammates are doing, because of the, 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 the things that he's doing on the court in terms of putting himself more on the lane line for free throws to get uh, basically giving defensive rebounds off of free throws. Uh, I think at the time that I did the article, he had lined up on the free throw line and gotten, you know, 45 more defensive rebounds off of missed free throws than he had at that previous mark uh, from the previous year. Uh, or at that mark from the previous year through 40 games. Mm -hmm. So it was just interesting to look at, you know, what things he's doing differently to get these rebounds. And if you look at tape, you'll see his teammates on free throws, Ennis Kanter, uh, Joffrey Laverne, Steven Adams, these bigs are basically occupying bodies so Russell can kind of split in between them and, and jump in for defensive rebounds. Uh, he's one of he, he he led the league, or he's he's probably still leading the league at the time I did the article at 40 games. He was grabbing about 8.6 or 8.7 uncontested rebounds a game, according to NBA stats, NBA.com/stats, and it, it's a pretty wide margin over the next closest guy. And in terms of guys on his team, when you look at the rebound percentage and how many rebounds he's getting that are contested, he was. He was by far the lowest among qualified players. I think Victor Oladipo was the next closest to him. And even between he and Oladipo, uh, the contested rebound percentage was was miles between he and Oladipo compared to the rest of the guys on the team. So what I'm saying is there's this argument that, you know, you know Westbrook is doing these amazing things, and he, and he definitely is, but there's a greater context to what he's doing in that uh, he's playing for a team in which he's playing with a lot of selfless guys, which allow him to get these uncontested rebounds or occupying bodies. So he can have free run at defensive rebounds. 
Um, there's also the fact that, you know, Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka aren't on the team anymore. And, and that's going to leave more defensive rebounds anyway because uh, Kevin, Kevin Durant, we don't realize it, but he is an elite defensive rebounder in this league. He's one of the best in the league. Sure. So somebody had to account for those rebounds, and it's Russell Westbrook. <laughs> okay. I mean, here's the thing. It's like I've always kind of in the last few years talked about how we should probably separate out the defensive rebounds on a missed free throw from guys' stats, just because for you know they're they're generally uncontested, they're easy rebounds to grab, um, you know. But it was interesting to actually focus the way you did on it and and realize that they're clearing out. And again, it's like I don't know if I have that much of an issue with that. Although I think it does. The, the real issue would probably be is is this springing out of a motivation to simply get him triple doubles or to simply get him the numbers right like that that is that could be a little bit of a detriment to a team concept in theory even though you know the big men i think they're on record right they're on record as saying you know it's kind of easier for me if i just clear the guy out and let russ swoop in for the rebound right? i think isn't that what adam said yeah and and adams is the adams is really kind of like the perfect guy He's, he's, a per, he's, he's essentially the perfect teammate. The guy really doesn't give a crap about his stats. Um, I mean, he's been he's been a guy even before this season where you say, "Oh, Stephen, you walk into him after the game and be like, oh, did you realize you had this many rebounds or something?'" And he'll say, "Oh, I don't believe." Da, 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 da. Right. He's just so very <laughs> he's so nonchalant and, and doesn't really care about the statistical part of the game mm-hmm. that you can you can kind of believe him when he says. Oh, you know, it, it's easier for me to just box out the guy and let Russell run in there or let uh, somebody else come in there and get the rebound. And you bring up the word issue. I, I think issue is is case-to-case or, or it's person-to-person. You know, if this was affecting the way that they won games or won or lost games, if these guys were clearing out for Russell and he was going for rebounds and they were losing games because of it, I think it would be something personally that would be an issue. But if it's a defensive rebound off of a free throw, to me, I don't think that's as big of a deal. Now, do you put an asterisk next to it in a historical standpoint, a historical context, and say Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double for a year? But I mean, that right. plays to your argument of you know separating the defensive rebounds in terms of a statistic. But, hey, that's an argument for another day. It still doesn't <laughs> diminish. Yeah. It still doesn't diminish what this guy is doing. And, and I go back to the point that this guy is one of the greatest – um, rebounders we've ever seen in the position, and even if you disregard the defensive rebounds, the work that he does on the offensive rebounds in terms of his will and his want is 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 really phenomenal as well. Yeah, and I also think it, it speaks to the the kind of arbitrary nature of a triple double. Why is a you know a twenty five point eleven rebound ten assist game better than a thirty point nine rebound eight assist game? You know what I mean? It just seems For, kind of exactly. silly. And so, so that, so that, you know, it's a question. But I, I think, you know, and again, I've been much maligned with my analysis of Russell Westbrook, and I get a lot of fans who are always angry at me about it. And to the point where, you know, it's kind of almost comforting because it, to me, it indicates that they've been with me for a long time, and they know all my tweets that I said about him, which is kind of like, wow, you, you remember I said that three years ago? So. But, um, you know, I think the one issue, and there was this article on Reddit, which I think was really fantastically researched. And here's what I think it gave me a little bit of pause, because I'm with you on the whole uh, rebounding on the free throw. It's like, whatever. Um, that's, I don't care about that. It doesn't really, especially when you have the teammates, like you said. But the, the indication seemed to be, at least in the numbers, and that's not without me, like, really looking at it carefully, that the numbers seem to indicate that Russ 
uh, is is suffering defensively so he can hang around the rim and grab more rebounds. Now that starts to intrude upon wins and losses, I would think. Do you see any of that evidence when you're watching these games? Well, I just see it just a continuation of Russell Westbrook just not really caring so much about perimeter defense. Um, uh-huh. I don't know necessarily if he's chasing uh, triple doubles as so much as you know, we've seen this we've seen this movie before. We've seen this movie for four or five years now that he he's typically not very concerned with, with guarding on the perimeter. Uh, I, I, I did find that fascinating in terms of him contesting jump shots and, and those statistics uh, in that Reddit article. But it, to me, I don't think it's any different than what he, how he's been playing in previous seasons. I, I just think that a big part of it is you don't have Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka around anymore, too. And I, and I don't think we'll give that enough credence as well because those guys, that's a bunch of rebounds. You're losing off your team. Kevin Durant averaged eight, some, eight, eight or so rebounds a game last year for the Thunder, and he was the leading rebounder. Mm-hmm. they got to go somewhere. And, you know, Billy Donovan said before that guys aren't going to follow Westbrook to the, to the rim in terms of rebounds because guards typically don't do that stuff. And – does it help him a little bit when he gets the ball and he can initiate the break? I don't think it helps as much as people make it out to be. Uh, you can always just have a guy rebound and hand it off to him, and then he can toss an outlet if he wants to. And the outlet pass is always going to be better than him taking off on the break anyway because the pass is faster than a guy running down the court, no matter how fast Russell Westbrook is. But he hasn't played very good defense for you know for the better part of his career. Now he, he takes plays off. He's, he, he can be a really engaged perimeter defender when he wants to be, and when he rises to the challenge, I think he gets up for big games. But, you know, th- that's something I'd have to look at a little bit more. Uh, I found that to be a definitely a fascinating part of that Reddit article. But um, I don't know if it's changed any more so than previous seasons. One of the things that gets me frustrated when they talk about the the Thunder, and even in the context you're saying that they lost Ibaka and they lost Kevin Durant, is that like the the rest of his team tends to be treated like they're high school players. And of course, Russ has to do all this because look who he's playing with. And I look at his roster and say, geez, I think Steven Adams is a fantastic player. Like, I don't think he gets, in, in, for the reasons that you actually said about, you know, his, he doesn't care about stats or whatever, that's probably why he doesn't get more gaudy stats. But, like, whenever I watch them play, he just, uh, he just plays the right way, and he's perfect for them. I think he could be a top, I don't know, could he be a top five center in the league? I mean, how many centers are like his position anyway? But why why do Oladipo, who's shooting you know very well, his best of his career from three now, and he's, he's a pretty good player, I like Jeremy Grant. I think he is good. Um, I think Robertson is, you know, obviously an elite defender in my mind, and he's, you know, there. Are, by the way, do you see this? I've seen moments where Robertson's being more aggressive on the dribble. Am I crazy? Is that a mirage, or is that really happening? Yeah, yeah, I think Robertson's getting more confident in terms of his uh, his, his driving and, and just dribbling in general. Um, you know, his cuts have gotten more aggressive. He's always, I think, he's always been a pretty intelligent cutter, but even so, more so this year mm-hmm. with Adam. Uh, Adams being able to operate out of the post as a passer, you've seen Robertson utilize those cuts more. Um, I don't – I agree with you that – I don't think people should look at this team as just like Russell Westbrook and a bunch of, bunch of just, you know, spare parts. Uh, Victor Oladipo is not a spare part. Steven Adams grows week to week. Mm-hmm. And as Cantor, 
or that's a world class post player. That's a world class power forward center. Uh, even the guys coming off the bench are skilled. Alex Sabrinas can shoot. Anthony Morrow can shoot. Uh, Jeremy Grant's a guy with a lot of bounce. I mean, he, he doesn't have any semblance of a mid-range game whatsoever. Uh, and and he, he really doesn't have a plan when he puts the ball on the deck. But he's a guy who's 22 years old, and he can he can step out, hit a three, and, and, and can also elevate and dunk. This isn't a completely bare cupboard. It's, it's not like this team is tanking by any stretch of imagination. They've, they've done a good job considering how quickly they had to regroup uh, after Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka leaving, uh, and even, you know, letting a guy like Deion Waiters go so they can give Rusty extra money. They, you know, Deion Waiters, we saw him a couple nights ago light up the Warriors. That's a good play. That's, he's a good NBA rotation player. Mm-hmm. So for them to be able to piece together the roster they have, it, it, it's been, you know, a testament to Sam Presti and, and what they've done. But people shouldn't say, woe is me for Russell Westbrook. He's still got a good team around him. It's just that he's having to create and facilitate even more than he ever did before because, you know, Kevin Durant was doing a lot of that as well. Kevin Durant was a, was a pretty good facilitator for, for, a seven foot, uh, for a seven foot score. And, and Russell's got the ball in his hands more than he ever has. He's got more responsibility than he has played offensively. But he's not, he's not without help. And, and I think that there are times where he should probably uh, provide for that help a little more. He should trust that help more. And, and, and when that's happened, we've seen that happen. We saw him dish off the trick on Depot a couple nights ago on the break. Old Depot hit the back break with three. Uh, he's dished off to Stephen Adams late games at times, and, and Adams has made key plays like a – you know, Adams running the floor and Westbrook finding him a couple nights ago in Utah for a big dunk. It, those plays energize and, and, and they give those guys confidence. And, and I think you'll see that more and, and, and as time goes on. But Russell Westbrook's not doing this alone. He's still got a good team around him. You yeah. can't, be, can't be a one-man wrecking crew and be in contention for a four-seed in the Western Conference. That's just, that's just not how it works. Right. Although, you know, if you needed, if you wanted to do it that way, I guess Russ would be the one-man wrecking crew you'd want behind you because, or in front of you because, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the early Bulls teams with, with Michael Jordan who was doing everything and, and carrying them to, you know, the 40-some wins and the, you know, first round of the playoffs. But the, the point being that they were, you know, they were constructing the roster around him. They're doing it around Russ to complement him. And, you know, listen, if they completely maximize what they have, they maybe win like two extra, two more games than they already have. I, mean, I think they're really pretty close to maximizing what they have. Although now, obviously, without uh, Canner, but they, and again, I think that with with, with Laverne, they're not gonna. It's gonna be different, but they're not gonna lose much. Here's my one question. I know you you're so busy when you're watching the Thunder. Do you ever have a chance to watch the Wizards play? <laughs> uh, I haven't had a lot of cha- opportunities to watch the Wizards. They came here earlier in the year and. I, you know, I always have to tell myself, I always have to remind myself, John Wall is a really freaking good point guard. But when he plays against Russell Westbrook, he doesn't look like a really freaking good point guard. You know why? Because Russell Westbrook is a Hall of Fame point guard. Like, I, I, I have to have such perspective when I watch John Wall. Uh, and, and I do appreciate him even more when he's not playing the Thunder. But no, I haven't had a chance to watch the, the, the Wizards much. I know... They're, they're getting their ship right again, and I'm happy for them and Scott Brooks. Well, the reason why I ask <laughs> is because I haven't watched a lot of the Wizards yet. I'm going to do a deep dive in them soon. Um, but I did watch a, a little bit recently, 
And I have to tell you, the offense, there's a lot of motion. It's a lot of off-ball screens. It looks you know, really good. Um, so the question then is, why, where, how does Scott Brooks all of a sudden get this offense? And, you know, where was, like, did he not, was he not allowed to run it in OKC? Like, this is my interesting question. When you start to look in the context over a couple of years, you know, that that's weird to me. Like, like you know, all of a sudden he can arise with this really good motion offense that they kind of were upset they didn't have, I think. Um, and that's probably why Durant left. I feel like Durant got tired of, well, your turn, Russ, now my turn, now your turn, and we don't move much. Um, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that's uh, a, a player influence issue where the coach isn't getting to run what they want to run? I think it's uh, – I think that the Thunder, you know – and and I say the word enabled in the in the most positive sense possible. They had two brilliant, brilliantly gifted stars. One who's a once in a generation scorer, the other who's a once in a generation athlete. And they said, Here's the ball, guys. Go be yourself and do what you do. And I think that it was almost to a detriment to them once they matured and grew as players because when those situations arose at the end of games, it was what we call around here the international distress signal. You know, Russell Westbrook brings the ball up. <laughs> Kevin Durant's got a guy hanging on his back at the top of the key, and, and, and Kevin Durant puts his arm out like he's waving for a taxi. And then it results in either passing the ball to Durant, he goes ISO, or the ball gets picked off because you're telegraphing what you want to do, and then the ball's going the other way, and it's a turnover. Um I think Scott Brooks probably has a little bit more, uh, you know, those guys here. And he, Scott Brooks had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook at a young age and had those guys where he's telling them, you know, go do you, go score, go go be creative. And But now he's got, you know, young guys who had to, who had to uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say put up with, but had to be coached by Randy Whitman, who by all accounts isn't one of the best uh, uh, tech tacticians in the NBA history, they had to do that guy for however many years. Uh, and, you know, Bradley Beal's finally healthy. They've got – Scott Brooks has the ear of young guys who want to win. John Wall is notoriously competitive. Uh, for him to be able to get another team, another team of young guys, and be able to mold them and, and, and kind of implement the things that he wants to do, it, it's different than Durant and Westbrook. It, it's different than, you know, mm-hmm. I guess enabling – really young players, whereas you're you're trying to help young players in, in Wall and Beal that really want to win because they've been dealing with crap for a while. <laughs> okay, that's, that's interesting. Because I, I wouldn't say that like Wall and Beal and those guys are like young in that sense where they're like, you know, oh, they're so young and impressionable and multiple. But uh, I mean, listen, it's possible that, that Scott Brooks spent the extra year off and went around and studied some more and, and tried to talk to more coaches. And, and like, you know, maybe he adopted more stuff than he had, you know, while he was coaching the, the, uh, the Thunder because – I mean, I have to kind of rack my brains. He took over. He was an assistant, right? And he sort of like got thrust in the role. And then they probably weren't even sure he was going to be the main guy and then ended up keeping the job. Isn't that how that worked after Carlissimo? Yeah. yeah. PJ got fired and then Scott took over. Essentially, I don't know if he had the interim tag or, tag or not. I was on beat then. But, you know, they, they basically just let him come back next year and just say, you know, this is your team. Do mm-hmm. this and prove himself. And... You know, they kind of grew together. I think. I think. I think Scott wanted to give those guys that freedom, and 
it's a freedom that, you know, it, it paid dividends. They got to a final. They, they were wildly successful. But I think it's also – it also bred some bad habits in those guys. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I think with some of um, – I think with – I think that was part of the, the worry with Kevin Durant going to the Warriors. You know, like, was he going to buck up this, this free-flowing, you know, just, just unselfish brand of basketball that the Warriors had bred uh, through these guys playing together for however many years they did. And, and you know, it, it even, it's even taken Durant times to, to kind of adjust to that. You know, we had that famous scene with him standing, oh, yeah. <laughs> standing up at the three-point line with Steph and Draymond yelling at those guys and Durant wanting the ball in that situation. No, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's something that started when Durant was a, you know, an 18 year old or 19 year old playing in Seattle. They gave him the ball and said, rock and roll, man. And <laughs> I think it takes time to break those habits. And, and I think Scott is probably, like you said, I think he's probably matured too as a coach, you know, like he's probably become more demonstrative about what he wants from his players. Uh, he's probably there and saying, look, guys, I got skins on the wall. I've done this before. You guys need to lock in and listen. Like, yeah, I mean, that, well, that probably goes a long way with guys like John Wall and, and Beal, who were probably looking for that after yeah. after having Randy Whitman. Well, I, and I think, by the way, some serious shade on Randy Whitman you're throwing out there at us, but uh, maybe may hey, deserved. <laughs> um, hey, man, look, yeah, I like Randy. Randy's a nice guy, man, but uh, you know they they needed they needed some fresh blood. Yeah. For sure, and and so and I agree, and I feel like um, you, know, you know you're right. It, this is these are the perils of you know letting letting the inmates run the asylum to some degree. And my my take on it has always been like, okay, so you know Scott Brooks doesn't want to upset the apple cart, and he's got these young guys. He wants to give them empower them, and you know he probably doesn't want to get fired, right? He's an inter, interim coach who took over, but you're gonna get fired anyway. You might as well get in there like he's doing with Washington and say, yeah, like listen, we're gonna run these sets, we're gonna get you open. Um, you know, it's funny. Yesterday, I went through with a buddy of mine uh, a bunch of the the, the uh, Warriors sets, like their their staples, what they run, what they, you know, on offense. And of the fifteen things that I showed this guy on, on my on my computer, I was like, you know, ten of these things they ran that that Durant got shots. Like he never got any of that kind of action in OKC. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was never like setting a screen and then coming down off of a handoff and then getting a wide open 15 footer after, you know, Steph screens for him. You know, it's those kind of things where you look at it and you go, man, you know, and I know they had tremendous success and they had, they were on the verge of beating the Warriors last year. But, you know, you have to imagine that, and I don't want to call it karmic or basketball gods or whatever, but, you know, clearly against those really good teams. Um, you know, it doesn't really end up being successful. So my last question, I guess, for you is, it, you know, you can you can destroy Phoenix, you can destroy Orlando, get all these stats against them, uh, and then struggle. We've seen it like the Toronto Raptors are having trouble beating any like of the good teams, but they're they're having a good season. They have a good record. Where should we be judging the Thunder now? I mean, are we judging them on, in the, under the crucible of like a title contending team, or is this like what they're doing is good and we should respect everything they're doing because you know it's right on par with like with maximizing their potential? You know, I think you've got to judge them based on how they're playing against good teams. I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of their victories early on in the season were against bad teams that you don't want to call them hollow victories because all those victories count at the end. But we were seeing them demolish, you know, a Chicago on the road that had a sick Jimmy Butler and, mm-hmm. you know, just just not a lot of inside presence and then Canner and Adams just ran roughshod over those guys. 
But you, you, you look at the situations where they go to Utah, they play a crap third quarter, and then they come out in the fourth quarter and, and, and reinvest themselves defensively and win a tough game on the road. And Westbrook, instead of taking a bad three, you know, waits a beat after catching a screen and pulls up from that mid-range, which he's pretty good at when he gets an open look. It's like it's moments like that you take out of the Thunder season. You say, you know, let's look for those against the good teams in hostile situations. The, the way that they play Houston close every game this season, uh, going up to L.A., winning a close game against the Clippers, even the Golden State game, uh, from, from the first game to the second game, that's how you grade the Thunder in terms of where they're going to be at the end of the season and how – and, and, and what progress you've seen from them. Because in the first game against Golden State, the game was over by halfway through the second quarter. Mm-hmm. In the second game, they're playing them to a 56-56 tie at halftime, and if they just keep their head and don't start turning the ball over like crazy in the third quarter, then, you know, it's a four-quarter game. So when I look at this under, I, I look at it as, no, they're not title contenders. Um, I don't think there are a lot of teams in the league that are besides Golden State. <laughs> right. You know, there's three. It's a three team. Well, it, I guess you could throw Houston in there too, but I don't think that they can really. They can't really go shot for shot with, with Golden State in the series. I mean, I think Cleveland's really the only team that stands a chance of that. And, you know, Cleveland's dealing with their issues right now. But mm-hmm. I tell people this: if the Thunder make the playoffs, which I which I presume they will. They've got a chance to make any series competitive against anybody in the West but Golden State. A Golden State series would probably be four to five games. Uh, a series against anybody else wouldn't be surprised if it was six at all. Um, if they if they so happen to get Ennis Cater back, he and Stephen Adams have a history of pounding San Antonio. Yep. Uh, Kevin Durant played particularly well in that series last year. Their bigs really were the ones that made a difference. And then getting back to playing defense after getting demolished in that first game on the road in San Antonio was what was the difference for them. I I could see them having a chance against San Antonio, even though they might not win. I could see them totally competing blow for blow with Houston. Uh, They've done it this season. Russell Westbrook always gets up to play Houston. We know why. Patrick (laughs) (laughs) Beverly. You know, the, the Westbrook James Harden factor and how much they like to compete against each other. That's a series that's wonderful for them. Uh, a Clippers series where you don't know what you're going to get from Chris Paul coming back from injury, and you don't know how Blake Griffin's going to hold up as he gets back to full strength. And then anybody else in the West is, you know, it's fair game. Utah's never been there before. Memphis and the Thunder, I think, are about what and what in terms of their, their style of play and their, and their grit and, and, and the tradition that they have in that series. And, you know, anybody else that that gets into the playoffs, I think the Thunder would probably be a favorite against. So they can compete with anyone. It's just a matter of, you know, how they're gonna how they're gonna play down the stretch. And if they're gonna continue to play complete games against good teams. It's 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 nice to beat Denver, you know? <laughs> like, go <laughs> right. put a complete go put a complete game together against San Antonio. And we haven't seen that because they haven't played San Antonio yet. Right. Oh, I agree. And I also feel like, you know, it's those moments when he traveled, you know, that ridiculous. I think he was going to go check the ball back up. Is that what he was doing when he brought when he's walking? That was, man, I, he, it was funny when he answered that question. He was just like traveling. Like he just, he just basically <laughs> made the call of what it was. He didn't explain it. He was just like traveling. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, okay, we saw that. Okay. Yes. And the problem with it was was that it was in the midst of the run that the Warriors did to end the game. And that was when you need every shot to be a good shot. And five or six possessions in a row, you know, Russ did not dictate the offense in a way that would have gotten them those good shots. And the game was over. And that's what frustrates yeah. me, the hell out of me with him is that, you know, he doesn't seem to recognize this notion of, okay, this is when the game's about to change. And if I don't make sure that we get, like, a really good shot now, because I think in that, in that sequence it was, like, three or four bad shots. There was a dunk in there he got, I believe, but he had traveled and then three or four bad shots and maybe one other turnover. They were down 12, 14. That was it. it was, they were not going to come back. And, uh, and those are the moments, um, the, you know, the moments of truth that uh, sometimes Russ doesn't seem to recognize. And it just, you know, as a point guard, as a coach, my perspective, it just drives me insane. Yeah, it's, um, that was really frustrating to watch because you play two really controlled, composed quarters. Yeah. You, you minimize your mistakes. You've turned them over. But even before then, the way that they started the third quarter of that game was troubling to me. They were just jacking threes. And I didn't understand why they were doing it. They were just mm-hmm. completely they were just jacking threes. And it wasn't just Russell. It was everybody. Mm-hmm. They get a couple offers to jack three, jack three. And then Russell gets the dunk. Durant comes back and raises it with the three. And all of a sudden it becomes Russell versus Kevin. And yeah. Russell starts jacking three. He jacks a couple of shots. And then they score, the, the, the Warriors score in transition, game over. Like, your margin of error is so slim against Golden State that you can't give away possessions. You're, you're completely right. You can't give away any possessions. You've got to come, if you're, at the least, you've got to come away with, with a point per possession. you got to, something close to it. You can't, you can't just have empty possessions like that against the right. Warriors in tight games. You've got to get at least two. I mean, yeah. because they're going to come and bang a three on you. I mean, and <laughs> right. so that's, Possession, or, or that quarter rather, that stretch in the quarter where, where Russell kind of spaced out and went Russ mode for a minute, Russ versus Durant, th- that can't happen. And, and and I think he knows that, but it, it's I think it's that you know, he knows that competitive drive in him, and, and it's hard to rein in sometimes, man. And that's the challenge for Billy Donovan and those guys. We, you know, how do you get more of how do you get more of what you saw against Utah late with him being composed and hitting that shot with 1.4 left, uh, facilitating and, and, and getting Adams a, a pass for an easy dunk on the break in a tight game where Russell probably could have just went to the rim or pulled up for, for a jump shot? How do you get more of that rather than, you know, it's, it's personal, me versus Kevin in the, in the tightest of moments? You know, that's that That will be a question we'll have to ask the next time you come on. Uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us and giving us some really great insight into what's going on with the Thunder. And uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Anytime you need it, just give me a call. You got it. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Eric? Yeah, I'm in. All day, every day. <laughs> <laughs>